The Greek philosopher Heraclitus said it. Everything changes. Everything's in a state of flux. Everything is, and everything isn't all at the same time. How does this apply to a baseball team for crying out loud? That's next on this episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast. This is the Gratitude Journal Podcast. I knew all that time sitting in those classrooms in the seminary, those long philosophy classes, I knew that time would be valuable to me down the road that I would be able to use it in some way, shape, or form. I knew it. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of this, the Gratitude Journal Podcast. The podcast designed for yours truly, Matthew, to maybe eke out little crevices of gratitude throughout my day, throughout my week throughout my month, and to hopefully maybe spurn you on to do the same thing. Maybe you're already doing it. Maybe you should be teaching me because I'll tell you what, I need some lessons in finding more gratitude. I mean, we all do to a certain extent, right? We all go through our lives pretty much witnessing ways to be grateful for things, but we shove it under the carpet or we turn our backs or we kind of shrug at it, and I'm just as guilty. So hopefully. This podcast, and now I believe it's 81st episode, will hopefully shine a little bit of a light on ways that we can find things in our life to be grateful for. And I guess I'm grateful right off the bat that I didn't throw away my masks, right? That I didn't toss them into the garbage because now we're back with this Delta variant. Do we wear the masks? Do we not wear the masks? People who are vaccinated like me and my bride, do we still go into stores with masks? Is it kosher? Is it cool? I have worn my mask in like the Home Depot and the grocery market because of this Delta variant. And I have received some very odd looks from people. But uh, a part of me says, I don't care. And a part of me says, why are we wearing masks again? Can't we just. Can we just do our job so that none of us have to wear masks? But I guess that's not humanly possible. Also, I'm sure during this upcoming weekend trip to West Virginia with all of my family members, well, most of my family members, I don't think my youngest brother, Pat, is going to be able to go. And that'll be weird, all of us sitting around uh, without Patrick. But still, I'm sure the masking and the vaccine and the anti-vaccine will all come up in conversation. We've had some really vitriol-filled conversations during this West Virginia trip. Uh, trips in the past. Uh, some of those I would not really care to repeat. So I oftentimes say to my siblings, listen, you know where I stand. You know how I feel. If you've ever listened to this podcast, I don't really know if they listen to the podcast. I guess it really doesn't matter. But I have really been fairly open about my need for others to share in what I consider to be the importance of wearing a mask and the importance of being vaccinated. And I think, I think that I'm being proven correct. And so are the other millions of people who have bothered to mask up and get the vaccine. I think we're all going to, in the end, we're all going to be proving ourselves to be correct in this journey towards 
I don't know why they were even calling it this, this journey towards the elimination of the virus. Who knows in how many different iterations it's going to make itself known. All I know is that Moderna shots number one and two are in my system. They're in Donna's system and we're plotting forward. Now that we got that out of the way, I should tell you right up front that if you are not a fan of baseball, you probably are not going to derive a lot on the surface out of this podcast. Now, there are some who would say, hey, if you're not a fan of baseball, just shut this off. Move on to your next podcast. Well, I don't want you to do that because hopefully the gratitude that I feel for this issue that I want to address in this podcast maybe will will move you in the direction to find gratitude for something maybe in your favorite sport or something else. Who knows? But baseball is my favorite sport. Now, I like all sports, but I kind of knew early on that baseball was my favorite sport. And really, it had to be my father who moved me in that direction because My father, as I like to tell people who come over to the house to do work, my father is really almost a master carpenter. I mean, he spent over 30 years in high school teaching woodworking, metalworking, and a subject that they used to call industrial arts. And it was really interesting because my father built practically everything in our house when we were growing up as children, telephone benches, stools, cabinets bookcases. I mean, he could pretty much do anything with wood and he never taught us anything. I mean, I can't remember my father ever picking up a box of nails and a hammer and maybe bringing up a couple of little pieces of scrap wood and saying to us, okay, everybody line up. We're going to practice pounding nails. That was just not something that happened in our house. What did happen in our house is that my brothers and I, we all had gloves And it was customary for my father to go out into the yard and play catch. That's what we did. My father was a sports maniac. It was important for him to teach us the proper fundamentals, whether it was catching a ball, whether it was stepping into the pitch when you were swinging your bat, whether it was getting your hip into the throw of the football, whether it was learning how to dribble with your left hand and to use the backboard in basketball. These things were of utmost importance to my father that we learn these things. And it was only later when I married my wife who could do all kinds of home things. She would look at me and go, you don't know how to do wallpaper? Uh, Okay, do I have to go into the sports conversation again? That was how things were done when I was a kid. Plus the fact that my father was a very, very good catcher at a very young age. In fact, my father was called up to the major leagues, not once, but twice as a part of the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. So for two weekends back in the late 40s, early 50s, my father was actually called to Pittsburgh for a weekend series against the Cincinnati Reds and a weekend series against the Brooklyn Dodgers. In fact, my father walked past Jackie Robinson on his way to the field, down through the tunnel, in through the dugout, and he has the honor of being able to share with me and everyone else the fact that Jackie Robinson scowled at him. 
But the other thing as to why baseball is important to me is that out of all the sports, baseball was really the sport that I was best at. And I wanted to be a catcher like my father. And so I practiced and I learned the techniques, blocking the plate, shielding low balls away from me so they didn't hit me, wearing my cup so the family jewels were protected, and also being able to hit like a catcher. And catchers were known to have power, and that's what I wanted to do when I batted from the right side of the plate. During my post-teenage years and into my mid to late 20s, I have to admit that I kind of fell away from baseball. Other things became far more important. Work, jobs, women, trying to survive on a teacher's income myself, wanting to be a radio star, trying to wedge in a part-time job at a radio station so that I could stop teaching and be able to realize my dream, the dream that was outside of the three years that I spent in a Catholic seminary, wanted to be a Roman Catholic priest, my dream of being behind a microphone and working at a radio station. So during those times, I would have to say that I fell away from baseball. And it really wasn't until I met my bride, who was a baseball fan, who all of a sudden, back in the probably early 90s, said to me, why don't we ever go to a baseball game? And I said, I didn't even know you liked baseball. She goes, I love baseball. I mean, we never go. Why don't we go to a baseball game? And it was at that time that the Ken Burns baseball series was on PBS. And I really had never experienced much about the Ken Burns documentary style, a style of which I am a humongous fan but it was the baseball documentary that got me thinking again about baseball and how important baseball was to me as a child. I mean, baseball, really, if you look at it objectively, it's the perfect game. I mean, it's two teams facing off against each other, but not two teams facing off against each other as if they were on a battlefield necessarily. It isn't football where two forces are converging. It isn't basketball where two forces are constantly converging against each other. The baseball philosophy is one that says that while it's a team game, there are many individual things going on in baseball that really are not replicated in other sports. The rules of baseball really are seemingly perfect. I mean, the fact that you can overrun first base in order to get onto first base, but you can't overrun any other base aside from home plate. Strange, weird, bizarre, but really singular in its approach. The fact that there are brushback pitches, that if I infuriate you, you as a pitcher, if I infuriate you by hitting a home run off of you, and if I look at you a certain way as I'm rounding the bases, the next time I'm up, you feel it right to throw a ball near me to brush me back to say, you know what? Don't ever look at me like that again if you ever hit another home run. I mean, this kind of interplay, this this yin-yang, this strategic thing that happens, the almost unsaid thing that happens on a baseball diamond, really 
is something that I often became even more romantically involved with once Donna and Ken Burns got me back in to liking baseball again. I mean, read the book Three Nights in August by Buzz Bissinger. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. It focuses on a weekend series between the Cardinals and the Cubs, and everything that happens in this sort of strategy inside the dugout with Tony La Russa, the then manager of the Cardinals, things that the normal fan simply doesn't really get a chance to see or witness. It was absolutely fascinating. And even if you are not a baseball fan and you're listening to this podcast, read this book. You will be amazed at all of the things that happen. And I think that as a child, that's why baseball really attracted me. I mean, my father took me to Cleveland Indians games at the old municipal stadium, and it was all the stuff that was happening between pitches that really mesmerized me. The signs that coaches would make to players before the next pitch was thrown. The interplay between the pitcher and the catcher trying to agree on a sign. The interplay that occurred between the batter looking down to the third base coach to get the sign to see if it matched up with what the pitcher was going to throw. And it just seemed like it was a ballet. It was a dance of strategy. And all of these things happen between pitches. So while people say, yeah, baseball is pretty boring because nothing happens, I couldn't disagree more. I mean, granted, we all want to see the three-run home run. We all want to see the close play at the plate. But it's all the things that are happening between pitches that made me so attracted and so thankful and grateful that Ken Burns and Donna would bring me back into baseball. Growing up as a kid, I had several teams that I followed, and my first team that I followed was naturally the Pittsburgh Pirates, because my father played in the Pirates organization. And our family is all from West Virginia. My parents grew up in a small town, and in that area of West Virginia, most everybody liked Pittsburgh sports teams. And so the Pirates were my team for several years during those formative baseball years, and I would listen to the Pirates on KDKA, Clear Channel 1020 KDKA. And when I would go back to West Virginia, my grandmother and I would sit in front of the TV and a WTRF TV 7 out of Wheeling, we would watch the Pirates. And sometimes we would listen to the games on the radio. And Bob Prince would do the play-by-play. And to this day, when I hear that, that those, those, those deep, resonant, growly baritone tones of Bob Prince. It reminds me of sitting inside the kitchen with the radio on and my grandmother and I listening to the game. And my grandmother hated Bob Prince because of all his little sayings like, we got a bug loose on the rug or we had him all the way. And I loved Bob Prince. And so the pirates were my team. Later on, growing up in my neighborhood, I enjoyed fancy teams. For instance, my football team, when I was nine or 10 years old was the Kansas City Chiefs because the Kansas City Chiefs had wild formations and they did all kinds of different shifts before the ball was hiked and their huddle was not in a round circle. It was seven guys standing in a line and then there were four other people standing in a line in front of them or six and four and then the quarterback. 
and you know Lenny Dawson talking to both of those rows of men. It was a strange huddle, but it fascinated me. I loved all the fanciness of it. And on the baseball side of things, it was the Oakland A's for a couple of years. The Oakland A's were my team. I mean, they all wore white shoes. And nobody wore white shoes except the Oakland A's. And they all had mustaches. I mean, Sal Bando, Joe Rudy, Raleigh Fingers, all of the Oakland A's that were all-stars. I mean, this team won three World Series championships in a row. They were my team. But in my neighborhood, you couldn't really like those teams because in my neighborhood, we followed Cleveland sports teams. And so the penultimate fan in our neighborhood and the person who would go on to influence so many of my family members throughout our childhood and early and early into our formative years was Mark Lux. And you could not like any team other than the Cleveland Indians if you were going to be around Mark Lux. And so I abandoned the Pittsburgh Pirates, with whom I still have a soft spot for. And I abandoned the Oakland A's and the Cleveland Indians became my team. In fact, I would like no other team in any other city except or Cleveland teams, but in particular, the Cleveland Indians, because the Cleveland Indians were the doormat. They were in the old Eastern Division. They were routinely ransacked by the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox and the Cleveland Indians. Nobody liked the Cleveland Indians. We lost 100 games so many times it wasn't even funny, but the Cleveland Indians were my team. The Cleveland Indians Chief Wahoo, Municipal Stadium, those names, Sam McDowell, Sonny Siebert, Leon Daddy Wagner, Frank Duffy. There were just so many names that went on and on and on. And the Cleveland Indians were my team. So when we came back into baseball, when I came back into baseball, courtesy of Ken Burns and courtesy of my wife, the Cleveland Indians were on a tear. They were like the Bronx Bombers. Those 90s teams of the Indians were so powerful and mighty and yet were unable to come away with a World Series victory. So mighty, in fact, that they sold out countless games. You couldn't get a ticket to see the Cleveland Indians. And this is when Jacobs Field was the new ballpark built in downtown. And when it arrived on the scene in 1994, it was very, very difficult to get a ticket. So we traveled and my wife was a baseball fan, so much so that we got married on a ball diamond. We would travel all around. We visited ballparks in Chicago and Detroit and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. We went out west and visited ballpark, the ballpark in Oakland. We went to New York. We went to Milwaukee. We went to St. Louis. We went to so many ballparks just to be able to see the Cleveland Indians. We were two of many Cleveland fans who made countless trips to see the Cleveland Indians because tickets were unable to be had at home. Which brings me to the purpose of this podcast today. The fact that the Cleveland Indians will no longer be the Cleveland Indians. And it is with a large amount of controversy that the Cleveland Indians organization arrived at a decision a couple of years ago to not only do away with the Chief Wahoo logo, a logo that once adorned the outside portion of my right calf, but also decided that the word Indians was negative, that they didn't want to have an association with anything Native American because the Indians have always caused controversy with their name amongst Native American groups. And Chief Wahoo has always been a source of discontent amongst Indians fans. 
And it was really long ago that I decided that Chief Wahoo was really not something that I wanted to adorn my body with anymore. And I would ask myself, if you had a new team and they wanted to design a logo for Indians and they arrived at Chief Wahoo, would you like that logo? And the answer would be, absolutely, no, not at all. It's silly looking, it's dumb looking, it's racist. And yet that symbol was the symbol that I grew up with as a child. It adorned everything, my lunch bag, it adorned signs that I hung on my wall. I was the first one to make sure coming around the corner at the bottom of East 9th Street to pull into the parking lot that I would see Chief Wahoo adorning the top of Old Municipal Stadium. Then I knew it was baseball time because of Chief Wahoo. This symbol, I never made that connection as a child and as a teenager, but as an adult, it began to sort of bother me. I do admit, though, that the word Indians confuses me simply because the Department of the Interior has the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and they call it the Bureau of Indian Affairs. So I'm still struck about why the word Indians is such a bad word. I do think, though, in the spirit of Heraclitus, that if something has the potential to offend, it's probably something that you should probably stay away from. And so when the organization announced that they were no longer going to be called the Indians and this past week announced that the new name would be the Guardians, I began to understand it. Not that I liked it. The organization supposedly had a chance to choose from over 1,100 names and decided on a name that had been bandied about over the past six months as one of the five or six names that would probably be in contention. You would have to do a little bit of research if you had any interest as to why the word guardians is significant to Northeast Ohio, but it has to do with a couple of Art Deco statues that adorn a bridge that is near the stadium. And it also has to be the fact that the last several letters of the word rival Indians. So the organization said that they were going to try to hang on to some of the, for want of a better word, memorabilia that connects the fans and the area to its long-standing team and at the same time eliminate the possibility that anything racist or defamatory would be connected to the team or to the organization. So they kept the essential colors. They kept the essential script of the new team name. And they have launched into a new logo and a new sort of rejuvenated lettering on the cap and the lettering that will take place on the uniforms for the start of the 2022 season. So, I had some morning episodes the first day, the first couple of days, and the more it began to sink in, the more acclimated I got to the fact that my team now has a new name. 
Does that make it a different team? That answer has yet to be given to me, or I have yet to arrive at that answer. But what I can say, what I can express, is my gratitude to the Cleveland Indians. My gratitude for being able to become reconnected to my favorite sport through the Cleveland Indians. That I became even more deeply connected to my wife because of baseball and the Cleveland Indians that I have been able to experience some of the greatest seasons from 1994 to 1999 when the Cleveland Indians organization was at its peak, at least in my lifetime, with some of the most thrilling athletic experiences I've ever been able to witness. And I've witnessed several of those playoff games firsthand. So I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful for all these memories. The memory of walking up the ramp at Old Municipal Stadium with my father. Me hiding candy in my pocket and my father hiding a six-pack of beer in his jacket. Thankful for being able to listen to Herb Score and Tom Hamilton on the radio keep me company with Cleveland Indians baseball as we would drive across the country, moving from one locale to another while taking a job. The thrill of waking up after a West Coast trip, not being able to stay up late enough to watch it, to realize that the Indians had taken two out of three from the Oakland A's, and on they would go to start a three game set against the Anaheim Angels. And I'd be happy to wake up the next morning and look at the box score and find out what happened. Being able to watch a playoff game with my brothers and root on our favorite team. A team and a game that brings about cohesion and has brought about cohesion throughout my entire life. So I'm very grateful or having had the opportunity to follow my team through many, many bad times and some really extraordinary good times. And while I can't claim to be able to witness my team winning at all, winning a World Series under the name Cleveland Indians, and while I still haven't wrapped my head completely around the name Cleveland Guardians, I suppose within this gratitude, that I should also be open to the fact that this city near us still has a team and that we should be grateful for that, regardless of what we call it. So if your team has won a lot of World Series, as some of my friends' teams have, I commend you and I am in awe of you. And I can only say that it's too bad that my team, the Cleveland Indians, did not win one during my lifetime. And while I can't totally say go Guardians, I don't even know what they're going to say. I can say this, 
one last time, on a podcast. While a season is still going on, a season that looks perilously close to ending, should the Indians lose these next two games against the St. Louis Cardinals, because that means the trading deadline looms and the Indians will be sellers rather than buyers, which means they will have completely given up this season in preparation for their new life as the Cleveland Guardians. I can say one last time, go Tribe. So yours truly and her bride will be uh, making the journey back to my parents' hometown of Thomas, West Virginia to get together with my siblings and hang out and say goodbye to my Uncle Jerry, whom I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to when he passed away because of COVID. Say hello to my Aunt Mary, who will finally, hopefully, welcome us at least into her driveway because she's been very adamant about people not coming by all throughout the COVID debacle. And just to suck up some of that clean mountain air that only exists in, as my cousin Joe likes to say, God's country, West Virginia. Until then, I hope you are doing well. I hope you are safe. I hope you are vaccinated. And if you're not, please get the damn shot into your arm twice if it's necessary so that we can get past the Delta variant and any other variant that wants to make its presence known and get back to normalcy. As always, I thank you and appreciate you for downloading and listening to this, the Gratitude Journal Podcast.